we always ask the wrong question at the end of the day. We say, how was your day? I said, that is a wrong question. The question has to ask in the morning before you start your day. How was not your day? How your day is going to be today? And you are responsible of creating day you deserve, day you want today. I said, that is a very bad question. That is a very wrong question at the end of the day. How was your day? It was before I had a horrible day. Oh, I really <laughs> I said, you know, don't ask that question. I said, ask question in the hey, good morning, my friend. I just want to know how your day is going to be today. You know, with a big smile. And you create your create. You are the creator of your life. You are the creator of the, your day. Happiness is a choice. Happiness, peace is a choice. Welcome to the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast, where you'll hear conversations that generate one aha moment after another for you. There is an enormous wave of goodness and progress well underway in the world that almost no one knows about yet. This thing is so hidden by the weight of the negative noise in our media landscape that I'm calling it a conspiracy of goodness. And that brings us to today's podcast. We're here to shine a light on ingenious solutions and give you insights that you need to find and cultivate what you're uniquely built to contribute in your family, in your work life, in all your circles. And here's the thing, even though these leaders that I talk to are knee deep in some of the world's most pressing problems, they still think the future is right. Well, we need to know what they know. We need to see what they see. We need to know how they turn setbacks into opportunities. And then we can take that insight into our daily lives and start seeing a whole new landscape of possibility for ourselves, for the people we love, and everyone else in our circles. I'm Dr. Linda Ulrich, founder of The Goodness Exchange, a global website that has been shining a light on insight and innovation going uncelebrated for almost a decade. The purpose of this podcast is to put a spring in your step again so that you can live with less fear and way more joy. And we can start that right now. Today's interview is with Lobsang Kudsak. We're going to call Lobsang Genla from now on so that I, can, I cannot stumble over my words every two seconds. You know, Genla has the most amazing story, which I think is, is going to come out much better if I simply read you this beautiful story to get us started. Here goes. High up in the Himalayan mountains in northeast India on the border of Bhutan and Tibet is a small community and learning center that is changing the world. It's been featured in the HBO documentary, Tashi and the Monk. It's a community that springs from the heart and mind of former Buddhist monk, Lobsang Phunsak, who we will refer to, as I mentioned, as Genla. Genla has adopted more than 120 abandoned children from diverse backgrounds of trauma. And he's using a novel approach that's best described as education beyond schooling. To put it simply, Genla and an amazing family of caregivers and teachers are mindfully practicing how we raise children to be adults that we all want to be around. Part of everyday learning are vital skills like growing their own food, running social enterprises that support their community and the surrounding region. 
they make up, they make cooperation and generosity and responsibility part of everyday life. They even give up one meal a week to help the local poor children. It's not surprising that the community is known by the Tibetan name Nyase Gatso, meaning Garden of Love and Compassion. I'm sure I haven't pronounced that right either, but we'll get to that because we're going to hear a lot about this community and we're going to be inspired to bring some of this beauty and compassion into our own lives. So here's how, uh, how the story has unfolded. After about 16 years now, the reputation of the school has caught the attention of government leaders in India and other school leaders across the globe. And experience tells me that with the kind of interest that's happening here, there are, are going to be some real impact from the methods that Genla has discovered in, again, raising children that become adults we all want to be around. But before we leap into that conversation, there's a little bit more about Genla that I'd like you to know. You know, Genla himself was abandoned at birth. He was born to a mother so young and gripped by shame that she gave birth in secret in the family toilet where, where she left Genya covered up by dry leaves. Fortunately for our world, he was discovered by his grandparents who raised him until the age of seven. And then at that young age, they sent him to study at a monastery in far off South India to become what they called a good human being. Well, he's certainly become that. Ginla had his personal struggles, but eventually he found himself being one of 10 young monks selected and trained under the guidance of His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, to share Tibetan Buddhism with the West. He lived in the U.S. and Canada for about a decade, but in 2006, he felt called to leave his life as a spiritual teacher in the United States and return to the region of his birth with a dream of rescuing unwanted children like he once was. In that first year, he created a home for 34 of the most at-risk children from local villages, and he found three teachers, two house mothers, and three support staff to help him. In this film, Tashi and the Monk, which I urge you to watch at your earliest opportunity, it follows the school's newest arrival, a wild and troubled five-year-old girl named Tashi, and she learns what love is and how it can help her heal is an absolute joy. And it will be full of uh, private revelations for you about hope and love and change. We hope you enjoy this conversation with Gemma. And this interview has made both my producer and me feel like anything's possible. So thank you for joining us. Let's start off and meet this wonderful human being on the planet who has so much to share with us. So welcome, Lapsang Punsak. And I'm sorry, I'm going to call you Genla, if that's okay, through the rest of the interview. Totally fine. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to brush up, by, up on my Tibetan as soon as possible. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Genla, you know, I, I want to tell our listeners right from the start here that we are talking to each other exactly one world, half a world apart. I actually went to the globe just a few minutes ago to see where you were in northeastern India and where I am in northeastern United States. And it's on the globe. You can put your fingers just like this on each side. So if our listeners hear a little bit of the delay in our conversation back and forth, it's because there is going to be delay when our voices have to cross the planet. Yes, yes. Wow. Wow. 
That's have to, yeah, it's amazing that, uh, you know, the technology. As I mentioned, I think before internet, you know, we are, we are geographically very isolated in the, you know, the foothills of the Himalayas. And now the internet is, it's, it's something truly a magic. To, to talk to you directly from this remote place to America. So honored to be on your show. Delighted to have you. And I'm going to say good morning to you. It's 6.30 in the morning. Uh, <laughs> yes. uh, and evening. it's 9 o'clock for me in the evening, the day before. But I have to share with our audience that we were supposed to record this last week, but there were some lines cut in, in the area where Genla is living. And as a nice bit of serendipity, what happened was we're recording today, and it is on September 21st, World Gratitude Day and the International Day of Peace. Wonderful. Absolutely. I think the perfect day for our conversation. Huh? A very auspicious day. So, you know, in the, my introduction, I talked about how your approach to raising these children to be the kind of adults that we all want to be around is part and parcel of this educating beyond the normal roots of education. You're adding all these great life skills to the children's exposure and their just daily life. So I found this great quote I want you to comment on. Let's start there. It's by Mark Twain. Mark Twain says, I have never let my schooling interfere with my education. Talk to me about this expansive idea that you have for the future of education for all children. Very deep question, very meaningful question. I think my background of education is very different because of my life situation. I grew up in a monastery from a very young age and the education system or the education, the purpose of education is very different from what education we have today. And that makes a, a big difference, you know, and when I see so many children, especially in, you know, 16 years before, seven to 16, 17 years before when we were starting this Jamsegasal Children's Community, this educational community in this region, that there were so much challenges, so much challenges, you know, the poverty, people not getting education and everything. But eventually that as I travel more and meet more people, we all have a similar challenges in all over the world. It doesn't matter when you are in US or where you're in Europe, in India, in Southeast Asia, wherever you are. When I think about, you know, then that is where I started everything, thinking about it. What is the purpose of education and what kind of education we were talking about? Why we need to educate ourselves? Today, it is a 21st century. We were talking about the inclusive education. I, I think it, it is the UNICEF's, uh, you know, somewhere I saw that every child has a right to the equal education. You know, what really I, I see is when we talk about it, every child, but if we look at one child, look at the one child, one child's area or, area or scope of potential or competence, and think what percentage of potential and competence we are trying to develop and nurture. Very tiny and a fraction of area that we are using. You know, the education itself is not inclusive right now. The curriculum is, you know. 
and the, the philosophy of the practice of Jamsekas are what we call three essentials. The three essentials are educating heart, educating mind and body, educating heart, mind and body. And that is what we feel very important to now include in our education. So absolutely, I think the, our schooling has actually limits so much of, and so much I think our infrastructure or our curriculums are limiting uh, the, the growth of the holistic human beings. This is my observation, again, I could totally wrong. my observation. Well, you know, I think you're right. I've been noticing that I, over the 10 years that I've been writing and, and interviewing people about great things happening around the world, I keep running into these very novel education advances, like holistic systems, like you're doing, but in, in unusual places. There's one in Haiti, much like what you're doing. It's completely independent, influenced by the outside world, and they've come upon this same notion about educating the whole person to behave in ways that we all want to be around. And then there's the people who introduced us, Zoe Weil and Steve Cochran's project about raising what they call solutionaries, children that, that automatically live to create solutions in their lives. I'm sure there's countless others. Do you think that what you're doing is part of some thread of consciousness that's just ready to rise finally? I think we, we are reaching to that point that people are realizing that there is a something wrong with our education. And we are, I think it's a very good start. I feel very optimistic and hopeful. You know, maybe 20 years ago, I don't know, maybe 30 years ago, we, we talked these things, people might not listen. I remember when we talk about even compassion and love, people are very uncomfortable about, you know, and I was, when I was, when I lived in the U.S., when I visit to a certain school, they want me to come and talk to the children, but they will always, people will stop me and they will say, Kenla, please, can you, please don't use the word love and compassion. Instead of that, can you use kindness and care? And I remember, wow, in, in America, you are so open to talk about violence and guns and war. You don't mind when, you know, your whole movie, Hollywood movie is like showing a lot of violence and scary things and guns. And you don't really, uh, you know, think this are kind of not right thing to do. But when we think about talking love and compassion, you know, you guys become you know, very serious about this. So now you see it, people are open to this. People are at least open to listen and willingness to understand this better. I think it's a really exciting time. Oh, I think it's something I feel very hopeful and optimistic. Yeah, I agree. I think many of us have had just enough of the negative noise. That's what I call all the background of negativity, just noise. And if that's what fills the backgrounds of our lives, it's like trying to think when the fire alarm is going off. You know, you just can't think straight. Absolutely. I think I feel it's a, the education we are talking is a very sort of reactive education. So sorry for my, my English. I'm trying to put this in a more clear way. What I mean reactively is just we are teaching our children to act in the response to the situation rather than teaching them to create the world that they deserve. So it's a reactive education. And you see, 
so much anxiety. Uh, we have a huge problem of now the mental health issue all over the world. In India itself, that, you know, I saw the report in every 42 minutes, one child commits suicide due to the academic distress. It's a shocking, it's a shocking. Then I also talked about, you know, if we pay attention to the, maybe exercise, some sort of exercise, if, if we make the, our, the five global issues that we are facing in our world today, top five global issues, and we could just go and Google and research and see what are the five, you know, the global issues we are facing today in the 21st century. And you will see all of them were actually not the natural. Those are created by humans, man-made problems. And it's also mainly, yeah, I think, the educated people, not the uneducated people, simple people who live in a village. They're trying to survive their life. So I think that's why the world is seeing this issue. We do have a challenge and we need to address that. But way we are doing is, what we are doing is we are really making children so stressed out. You know, only the negative things we are talking about. Again, you know, I'm, I'm talking about my limited uh, perspective from this remote area. You know, we are saying that, uh, you know, telling our key uh, uh, children, this world is very cruel, it's very nasty, and, you know, very unkind. And we, are, we say this thing to them. And that's why you see the anxiety level raises. And that's why teachers, educators, often we feel, even parents today, you know, we feel basically saying, you don't, we have no control about the, your future. And you need to fit into that future. You need to survive into this unknown future. So that's why we as educated parents, we feel that we need to teach these children or train, train these children as a fighter and teach the combat skill to survive. Not, not so the world. Who wants to live? I don't want to live in that kind of future. Educators, I think we should, educators and parents, we should teach them love. We should actually train them, train them as the, you know, the lovers and the peacemakers, the lovers of all kinds. We should not make them a fighter of their future. Teach them love, train them as lovers, love of, lovers of all kinds. Teach them a peacemaker. The most important, teach them how to love themselves and how, you know, the lifelong, the lover of their own life. If we could teach that, that's, um, uh, that is what I think. This is our primary responsibility as a parents and as a teacher. We don't need to teach them how to fight. We don't need to train them to become a good fighter, but lover and peacemaker. And if we can do that, I think that that is an approach that we will see the, you know, the future, the, the future belongs to children and we need to empower that way. You know, future, you know, they don't belong to the future. The future, we are what experiencing is created by our own generation, this generation. But the future, we don't determine the, their future. I think they will determine the, their future. So future belongs to them. I think that it depends on what kind of education we give it to them and what kind of the future generation we want to see in this world. So that's why I feel now the 
conversation wherever we go, very hopeful, you know, very yeah, hopeful. I, I feel very hopeful. Yes, yeah. You know, I was um, recording a small little helpful video today where I asked people to think about how often they're making decisions out of love or fear. Like how often do we react all day long? As you say, reactively, we're just running and reacting, following our emotions over a cliff and making decisions out of love versus fear seems to be what you're doing there. You're teaching children to love life and each other and responsibility and all the impact that they can have in the world instead of teaching children to be ruled by fear. I think it's a lovely switch up. I'm not sure most of us think of our education system as 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 reactive as it actually is. Yes, and I, I think again, as we're saying, is that this is a, something that I learned from growing up in the monastery. You know, it's not my own invention, and this is how it helped me as a person. You know, I'm still on a journey to becoming a better human being, and it will be a definitely more than a one life journey. So, as a Buddhist, this is a privilege. So, I put on my to do list for the next rebirth. So, I think I don't cannot do this lifetime. So. It, you have to complete the next lifetime. These are simple things that, you know, are very essential things I, I learned from my teachers and in, in my monastery. And we, we talk about educating heart, mind, and body. And the, you know, we, we talk about the, our country in, in India. So it's a, it's a, it's a, we have a lot of challenge. And one thing is this country has, uh, it's very dirty in so many parts of our country. And I often very actually concerned about this, you know, the trash and plastic everywhere going. Now, I want to talk about this. It's like in a, the, the Eastern or especially the Indian education system, but he's always talk about Nalanda tradition. It's like the, even when you clean, when you sweep, when you broom, it talks about the integration of heart, mind, and body. You know, such a simple thing. People ask me, what are you talking about educating heart, mind, and body and harmonizing or integrating these three energies together? You know, so I said, for example, if you are cleaning a floor, if you are sweeping a floor, you see, you can integrate heart, mind, and body. So there is a, there's a cognitive component, there is an emotional component, and there is a behavioral component. Your mind has to understand, your mind sees the importance of hygiene, the importance of cleanliness. You know. Your emotion is like, the component is you care about the other's well-being and health, and you care about your well-being and health. And then your physical, the behavior component, the action component, the physical component is when you do mindfully with mindfully, complete mindfully, the presence of both three heart, mind, and body. That's what I say Japanese are very smart. You know, Japanese took this uh, philosophy from India. You see the Zen temples, when they clean, you know, though you don't see frustrated in their face. When we clean, it's frustrating, you know, like I want to get done this. And we fight about dishwashing and we fight over laundry. And I think every family fight the most, the issue of our, for the boss of our family fight is about the laundry and dishwashing, yeah? But if you see the Japanese Zen, and that is like, so So they do it in such a graceful way, such in, because they are integrating this. You know, they harmonize the energy of mind. They educate 
their mind way too clean and sweet. And they educate their heart, the purpose of cleaning. And they educate their body way mindfully and with full presence how we can sweep. So any tiny or most boring things can be very transformative. Very transformative. And Buddhism talks about somebody achieving during Buddha's time, just cleaning, he achieved enlightenment. So it's, a, it's I mean, how it is so important for us to teach and ourselves, educate ourselves and educate our future generation, even when you clean, that you can transform your life. It's not just a clean, it can be very a self-transformative education. For ourselves. So that's why for us, educating heart, mind, and body is not just trying to be a unique curriculum, but it is a whole, you know, the necessity, I should say, necessity and essential. This is great. This is okay. So we're going to skip a few questions and I'll come back to some that I wanted to ask because we're so close to, to you helping us understand how that same mind, heart, and body works. You, you talked about nobody likes to do dishes and laundry, but you've got the children participating in all parts of life on the, at the, are you calling it a, a school? You you really are a family, right? You have. Yes. yes I, yeah. <laughs> I think we better, we better review this just before we go into dish doing and laundry. You have 120 plus children, correct? Your dad to a, you are dad to 120 children? Uh, very, very lucky, very lucky, happy dad. And sometimes really cranky and very... <laughs> Most of the time I'm happy and <laughs> dad. Well, you know, before we go into that laundry and, and, <laughs> and cleanup discussion, you have this great metaphor, Genla, about how we could look at raising children like a gardener. And how we would look at them all with possibility if we thought of our family like a garden. Yeah, Linda, this is a beautiful question again. Yeah, thank you. You know, you you are. I, I really appreciate this. You know, more, most important for me is my own self reflection. We don't sometimes more a lot of the times. You know, we don't really what do you call walk the talk, and we preach, but we will practice. And this kind of question really helps me personally. Is really a reflect. And really think seriously what I'm saying is I'm believing and I'm doing it, you know. And again, I, I think about the education system or education, even the design and everything actually, you know. If I look children as a seed, and sometimes I use the seed of sequoia tree, I think, am I pronouncing correctly? Yeah. You have America sequoia, maybe the biggest tree is sequoia you tree. You got it. Yes. So the, 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 the seed of sequoia tree is so tiny. I saw that like I was such a surprise to see the seed, you know, such a tiny seed. Deep inside the seed, there is a huge, maybe the one long biggest tree exists inside of the seed. And now I think of, you know, like every child is a seed for me. I look them as a seed, a seed of the biggest tree with the, so much potential and so much, they have so much to offer. They have so much to offer. And then I think of often our society, sometimes even a religion, our politics, our culture, and our education system. Are we this, this our thinking, our system, our thinking ideas, are, are we limiting their growth? Are, are we really actually supporting their growth? 
When I see from that very a critical mindset, again, not just being a negative, but I, as a dad, as a, as an educator, I need to think. We all have to think. You have to think a lot about when you bring this amazing people. I actually, I was actually listening and watching your couple of your uh, podcasts. You really have to think. Yeah? So it's the same thing I have to think. And I feel like if educators as a parents, if we actually consider ourselves as the gardeners or the tree growers, we think, you know, we don't grow tree anymore. We grow only bonsai tree, I feel. Our thinking, our culture, our mindset is limiting the full potential, the full growth of human beings. We don't grow. We grow bonsai because the bonsai has a better market. People pay. And that's why we have to control. Or, you know, the market likes to see this way. Or the people love this. And we are not growing anymore. Very critical. now. You know, I shouldn't say nobody is growing. I think so many people are growing now more and more trees. I'm happy. So we limit that. When you think that way, I tell myself, people in here, don't grow bonsai. If you see the bonsai of sequoia tree and the bonsai grows in California, the both tree has the same potential from both tree came out with this tiny seed. Now, who is responsible for that? Don't blame to the child. It is our mindset, the adult's mindset, adult's mindset. So able to see as an educator at the parents, when you see the scene, that inside that we look, you know, very carefully inside that, able to see the biggest tree inside that tiny sea has the, every parents and education have the vision for every child in this world. So that is the one aspect I talk about. And another thing I talk about, if you're a farmer, if you're a gardener, the three things that we always have to, this is the three essential practice in our day-to-day -day life. Yeah? Number one is the building the strong roots and that requires what kind of soil you have, what kind of, uh, you know, fertilizers, what a root system. If your root system is not strong, the big tree cannot actually grow. It depends everything on the roots. The root system, when we talk about the kids, their characteristics, the values, the, the attitude, these are humans' root and the culture mindset. And then another thing is, I think, the persistent patience and faith. Every gardener do this. Persistent and patience is every day you go to the garden. You do the tiny little things without losing your patience. You go pour water. You see the weeds are growing. You give a protection every door. You don't know what is going to come out from that garden. You don't, but you keep a faith. Someday the big tree will grow. So that is my garden. That's why the name of community, I intentionally give the garden of love and compassion. We are not producing, we are gardener. So gardener, if you have a gardener, if you think the parents, I am a parents with the gardener's mindset, or I'm the educator with the gardener's mindset, these are crucial daily practice that we have to make it priorities. You know, the farmers, we live in the middle of the farming place here. I see every day, every year they come. 
there's who don't see there's no any sign of the rain, but they will start preparing a ground. And that is only they live on, just see some serious. If they don't get a crop and that whole year they're going to suffer and they cannot feed themselves. But I see such a faith and hope in their face, even not knowing what will happen tomorrow. And maybe everything they grow, nothing will come out from there. But such a hope and faith. So I look at them and I feel, God, this is how parents, every parent should be and every educator should be. Keep hope and faith. And then another thing is every day, these poor farmers, they will come and do little practice, small things with the diligence and patience and persistently they do. Regardless of, they don't know what will happen, but the hope and faith is what, you know, the way they survive and the way they thrive. So that's why the garden of love and compassion is, it's, it's not just what you call the metaphor or philosophy. It is a actually practice that we try to do every day. Okay. So this brings us to this laundry and cleaning. <laughs> <laughs> because that's yeah. where the, the discipline and patience comes in, is that as parents, we have to keep hoping that that tomorrow they'll get it or or hold out faith that our patience and our compassion for in, in the moments that we have to find it are going to pay off as the tree grows as you say so talk to us about this concept of using education as an opportunity to normalize good behaviors like responsibility and collaboration i hear that you have quite a system where all the children participate and everyday activities that make a community work. Yeah, Linda, this is, yeah, thank you for asking this. Yes, I see, you know, every, we have to clean, you know, this morning I saw a lot of kids actually just going through my, my, this little house, they're cleaning, picking up the dog poops, I call diamonds. I said the diamond, these are diamonds. We have to pick the, we have a lot of dogs in the community. They poop everywhere. So I saw this is a daily practice. Uh, <laughs> little positive <laughs> you get up and you started feeding a dog poop but yeah Linda I, I again you know these are like for way we are doing this is because so much of this is I think you know it was necessary and we you when you have so little and you have the, your challenges enormous and sometimes that helped us to actually learn so many things, even you don't want to, or even that was not your intention. When you give every child who comes to Jamsikasa, when even when they're four years or three years, they have the similar chores they have to follow. Adults will help them when they're struggling, but they will they have to do what they can the best. And that is one way of healing a trauma. We have almost every children come from the trauma. Cleaning and gardening and doing and especially taking responsibility is a very empowering and itself is a big therapy. And again, that is a, accidentally we are learning more and more. And kids with the uh, challenging behaviors, you see, when you give them a responsibility, they see, wow, somebody trusts me. It doesn't matter they do a wrong thing. 
Again, you know, the result is not so important at this time for us. The process is more important. And then eventually when we see some of the very challenging kids when they are going through so much, and sometimes even we give them the younger child to as their little sister and little brother, and we ask her, you know, to, to him, please, this is your, we assign intentionally, each family will assign, they will have bigger sister and bigger brother, and then and for even him or her, they will have smaller sister. So everybody is there, a lot of layers. Moment when you give somebody, hey, this is a new little sister you have, and you have to take care of this. You see, it completely changes everything. Now, they be, that is how they start. Actually, you know, empowerment helps them and also learn that they, they see the power of giving. There, from there, moment when they contribute, moment when they contribute, and the happiness comes from that. I think the source of happiness is a gratitude. They see the, the takers are actually very unhappy, but givers are always very happy. So this little practice for us is we don't have, again, resources like that and money to bring the expertise, the therapists and psychologists in this region. Even if we have money, you know, nobody will come. So these are certain systems or the practices that we, we need to figure out how we can help children to heal and also learn the certain disciplines. And at the same time, we get done a lot of the work without hiring people for cleaning. We don't have, we don't have to hire cleaning. So we get done everything. We don't have over 100. Now we have total like 150 plus, including adults. We don't have any laundry machines. We do by hands. And it's a huge human machine. You know, you get done so many <laughs> things. Well, that human machine, that's such a great word. That's how people succeed in groups all through human history. It's a, a human machine is what has always brought us through. Yeah. I would like to, Linda, I would like to quote this. I love this quote from Dr. Martin Luther King. And mm -hmm. uh, we talk about cleaning is so important. And sustainability and waste management is one of the uh, key practice in our community. And when we're talking about the, the tiny things, doing the laundries and cleaning your space and cleaning yourself and how important. So one of the most important, again, is a discipline, building the habit. You know, and because once you build habit doing this, whatever you do, you do harmonizing all three energies together, it's become very powerful. You know, we can say, I love you just from the mouth. But we know when we can say, I love you from body and heart and mind, and that love, the impact of the love is 200% more than just saying from your mouth. We all know that, but we don't teach this to children. You know, can we say, I love you? How your body can say, I love you. Your body can say, I love you. Your mind can say, I love you. Your heart can say, I love you. But if we put all these three energies together, and when we say somebody, I love you, the impact of that love will be 200% more than what we normally say. Even for somebody, when we greet, hey, how are you? I'm teaching kids to say, say, how are you from heart? Say, how are you from your body? Say, how are you from your mind? And sometimes kids take it confused. How do you say, how are you from heart? I said, this is a practice that we need to do. You know? And say, once you learn 
to do everything from your heart with the mindfulness and integrating the presence of your body. I said that nothing in this world is impossible. You can do anything. And this is a quote that I found from Dr. Martin Luther King, which I taught, which I actually quote this so often to our children. And I just want to read this. I think it's very, very powerful. He says, if a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep the streets even as Michelangelo painted, or the Beethoven composer music or Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep the streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause to say, here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. Such an amazing bar. I get goosebumps. You know, we need to sweep as a Michelangelo is painting. We need to serve as a Shakespeare's writing poetry. And these great artists, humans, beings cannot do such a wonderful thing without integrating heart, mind, body, and all. That's why they are amazing. That's why. And I feel we need to teach these kids from laundry. When you do your laundry, do from your heart, like a Michelangelo is painting. When you do dish, you know, you're not doing just... So we can teach this discipline, this habit in everything we do. There's nothing, there's no small job or there's no small work. It's totally upon our mindset and our heart. If we do with our heart, mind and body, all jobs are great job, which will transform us, which will become the transform lessons for us. Being in a remote place, I think uh, these are very, I feel, important. Oh, I got to tell you, you know, Genla, it sounds like when I listened to you talk just then, you're probably creating a whole bunch of human beings who contribute with joy. They're learning to contribute in all kinds of ways to, to their little sisters, to their your meals, to your cleanup with joy. Contribution with a sense of joy may be one of the most important life skills that any of us could teach our children. Yes, but I think uh, one way what I see is children, our children, at least again, I'm talking of my very limited knowledge because of the background of the children. And people often come and they say, you know, we where they grew up here and how happy they are is that, uh, Linda, you're right, I think. First thing is we teach them, become the contributor. You are a contributor. You have so much to give. We teach the importance of generosity. You don't need to have. Can you give a smile from your heart, from your body, from your mind to anybody? We all can become the contributor and the creator the day we want. And I tell children, you know, in, in we, we always ask the wrong question at the end of the day. We say, how was your day? I said, that is a wrong question. The question has to ask in the morning before you start your day. How was not your day? How your day is going to be today? And you are responsible of creating day you deserve, day you want today. I said, that is a very bad question. That is a very wrong question at the end of the day. How was your day? Before I have a horrible day. Oh, I really hard. I said, you know, don't ask that question. I said, ask question in the, hey, good morning, my friend. I just want to know how your day is going to be today. You know, with a big smile. 
And you create your create. You are the creator of your life. You are the creator of the, your day. Happiness is a choice. Happiness, peace is a choice. Nobody can take away without your consent. If you value that, and the protecting your peace and happiness is your priority. And creating the day you deserve is your love to yourself. First, you love your life. Do you value your life? Have a gratitude to, wow, I am this amazing life. Now, your biggest responsibility is taking care of this person. So, you don't wait to other person. And you don't want other people to determine the end of the, your day. You don't want other people to set your des destiny or your, you know, destination at the end of the day. And you take control of all of, of that. Now, Linda, I'm getting distracted even when you ask. But yeah, this is something. No, <laughs> this is great. <laughs> I'm going to play this over and over again. Remind <laughs> me. And tomorrow, <laughs> I have a big staff meeting. I hope other people are are listening to this podcast at a time when they can apply all this learning right off. But tomorrow, I'm gonna I'm gonna run my big all day staff meeting entirely different. Thanks to this conversation, <laughs> you've got me all fired up about how much control I actually have over how my day goes. So, Gemma, let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk more about these extraordinary concepts that you make part of every day for all these children and that you are sharing with us right now. We'll take a break. And when we're back, we'll hear about all kinds of extraordinary things that are just part of the daily life of these very, very fortunate children. Hi, I'm Dr. Linda Ulrich, founder of The Goodness Exchange and host of the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast. And I want to share something wonderful with you today. So you know how the constant negativity in the news and social media seems to be at some sort of boiling point right now? It's relentless. It can feel like all the joy and potential is being drained out of our future. Well, it doesn't have to be that way. My team and I at the Goodness Exchange are making certain that optimistic people have instant access to positive news. There are newsworthy stories out there about astounding solutions to some of the world's biggest problems, about wonders and leaps in human potential. It's not a lack of good news, it's a lack of awareness. So, if you want to try living with more joy and way less fear, it's really simple. First, head over to goodness-exchange.com, where you can balance your media diet and feed your curiosity about a world with real-life stories, celebrating people solving the world's greatest problems. And second, you can become a Goodness Exchange member. And for just $2 a month, you can help us keep this site ad-free. And what you're going to get is high-quality carefully curated stories all about the good that's happening in our world and all of it sent directly to your inbox or via our beautiful app. In the face of all the negative noise and often discouraging things that happen in our personal lives, you'll be the one who can stay on your feet. You can point to possibility and be the person who makes opportunity of setbacks. People who use the goodness exchange have a spring in their step. Every day, they radiate joy and confidence because they know far more about the complete picture of what's going on out there in the world. 
you can do more and be more in a positive way for your kids, your coworkers, your family, and all the people around you. Because you're going to be filled with stories of goodness, remarkable, ingenious solutions, and progress. Super simple to open the door to a new landscape of possibility for yourself and others. Just get instant access to what's right with the world and leave all the negative noise behind. You can use it every day by heading straight over to goodness-exchange.com backslash join. And you can get 14 days on us when you sign up for this membership. Thanks so much. We hope you'll join us in making the world a better place. There is a conspiracy of goodness going on. And if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably part of it. All right, we're back. Thank you so much for joining us on the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast today. Today, we're speaking with an amazing father of 123. (laughs) I don't know. What is the number now, Genla? Maybe 123 around that. You know, I don't count anymore. So it's a, a little bit embarrassing. Genla is the head of a very large household in remote northeastern India on the border of Bhutan, where he has taken in over 120 abandoned children. And he and a very lovely family group of teachers and caregivers are creating an education model that has now really attracted the attention of the world because you've been at it now for 16 years and you've got college kids now that are out there in the world. Your children are making their communities better with some amazing projects. And I want our uh, listeners to hear more about this, some of these extraordinary concepts that you're just making part of everyday life. We talked about the joy of contribution that becomes just part of living. Talk to us about this great concept that you're doing with the recycled plastic. You're teaching the kids to be sort of social entrepreneurs, and it's actually really catching on. Yeah, yeah, Linda. Again, I think you you actually you quoted such a wonderful thing at the beginning of, I think, the, uh, a Mark Twain's quote, you know, the, I never let my schooling interfere my education. I think, again, my, my observation, you know, is that uh, why we have a, sometimes look at, we have a broken society. You know, we have so much challenges. We have a broken, we have a broken society because of, we have a broken adults. We have a broken human beings. We have a broken human beings because of, we have a broken education system. I feel the only hope we can fix the challenges we, we are facing right now and to prepare the better future is through education. I strongly believe this. I strongly more than religion believe the education. The education can, this is where we need to really, really need to think. So that that's why we talk in Ali, you know, are we growing, if educators are the farmers or the tree growers, and we need to ask our, or the parents, parents, I think, parents, at Jamsek Asal, everybody is an educator, everybody, teacher of life, we call it, the driver, the cook. The, the masoners, everybody masons, but they are all the teachers here. And uh, as educators or the parents, are we growing a tree or are we growing the bonsai tree? And we, uh, that's the welcome. And that's why, like, we, 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 we need to understand the bigger picture. The holistic approach is very necessary. I don't want my children to sometimes, you know, in the future, some of them become a professor 
or the, the lecturer or teachers and go and teach a school about the importance of the waste management and climate change while they are the one of the problem maker. And I don't think that is the right thing to do. And these are the problems you don't teach and tell other people, but these are the practice. We have to make these a daily practice and have to make the priority if we want to see, if we want to really deal something with the challenges we are facing, climate changes or poverty and everything. It cannot be meet in a once a year and it cannot be just create a one project in a school and think that we are doing a great thing for the service. So I believe it has to be the practice. It has to be the daily practice. So for, for me, I don't look this as a project or don't mean look this as a, something additional doing. It's a part of our life. This is the way we should live. So when we first start the Jamsegasal Children's community in this remote, uh, this remote mountain, one of the most amazing things Beautiful things. I love it. Like just nobody there facing towards Bhutan and Tibet. And there's two rivers coming and we are in the middle. And one of my friends told me when he visited, I never forget. I said, he gave me some amazing wisdom about the place should be a cleaner than something like maybe my English is now. The place should be much cleaner than uh, before or something when you leave or something. You have some phrase in English. Yes, I think leave it cleaner than when you found it. Yes, yes, exactly that. And I don't feel that even we came here. I think we create so much mess. We create so much destruction. Yeah. And then sometimes we talk about it. You know, one of our conceptions, you know, my colleagues were saying, we want to call, protect the earth or save the environment. I said, that's a human ego thing. You don't need to protect the earth. Art knows how to protect itself. We are destroying. We need to protect our destructive mind, our destructive and negative mind. We control ourselves. The earth will take care of itself. Environment will take care of itself. So we need to discipline our behaviors and where we live. So the plastic, when we started this, then we made it like this community will never throw a trash and be clean and we will only go organic and we never allowed any sort of chemical fertilizer inside our campus. We have, and always we grow the organic vegetables. Most of the vegetables we eat here, we make wormy compost, natural compost. So these practices are, and now we are working more and more on the rainwater harvesting and the solar and solar energy, how we can sustain a natural building separate. Now the plastic is one of the biggest issue again. So we make a commitment or on the, actually the birthday of one of my spiritual teacher, uh, Samdong Rinpoche. You know, it was very significant. He advocates a lot about the environment. So all the community members and children came if he pledged on his birthday to honor his wisdom and his guidance and his compassion. This is a pledge for my guru that this community will actually become a zero waste community in some way. So in order to become a zero waste, we need to first deal with the present current challenges we face. So many plastic. And we started doing, and now suddenly, in two years, we have been doing a practice and suddenly so many people got, you know, even the armies. We have so many militaries because it's a border area up in a mountain. 
And now Army's generals, they visited here and now they are actually sending all their plastics to here. The women's group, the students in every school now, entire district, the school had that we are meeting and all the plastic we are collecting and the, the different NGOs. So now we, our goal is to the entire district that we want to make it plastic free, the district. And we are doing a research and a lot of the things we are learning. And if this model that we want to go to the entire state, big ambitious goal to how we can actually create the entire, our state is a plastic free, a zero waste state, and then replicate, go beyond that. You know, one of the most amazing thing is this is also, you know, yes, it's a great, great learning for the children. It's just doing it every day, doing it, segregating, cleaning and bringing and talking about it. And these are something, again, we are making part of life. It's not one project. It's a part of life, part of life, education, we need to think. So right now we are, are getting a lot of attention. A lot of people are participating and we feel uh, very great about this. We, we didn't actually start from that intention. It was for us. You know, we thought we cannot change the world. At least we cannot control the world. We cannot change the world, but we can control our behavior and we can change our life. That's why the same thing. What kind of community do we want to have a plastic everywhere? And that's why we say, okay, let's decide in coming two to five years, you know, what kind of community we want. We don't want to ask after five years, how is Jamsay Gasa? But we want to say, this is how we want to have our community in five years. So we take control of us, we empowered us, and we determined, and this is a community we want to create, like individual's behavior, as well as collective behavior. We feel it's a choice that we have. So when we started doing this, and we were not doing any PR or marketing, but people read, saw that what, what's happening here when they visit, wow, how clean, wow, this is wonderful. So it basically is a ripple uh, effect. And now everybody is touring. Uh, and I just got yesterday a call from the army commander. He's set, sending a whole truck full of plastic, I think, in two days to the Jamsegasa community. We just asked him, please, sir, can you please make sure you clean the plastic? Because we have a, the children and I, we have to clean and they're, they're good. So they're sending it. So, yeah, yeah, it's um, truly education, I think. It's a practice, discipline. So we try to find everything we do, and, you know, we try to understand the purpose behind that. So give us a little bit of background. So what are you actually doing with the plastic? You've created a social enterprise here too, right? Like this is a business. A, a bit yes. Of, yeah. Yes. I, I would love to. I'm mean, actually, I think that are totally fine because also we are encouraging now the older kids to take this as a, you know, enterprise and thinking about, and we have, uh, you know, ourselves produces some of the very beautiful things that people are willing to buy. And we have so many people coming from the region. If you produce here, we will not buy from our side and who you buy. And this is a definitely, uh, you know, the plastic tiles and encouraging the, especially our young generation to, to turn this into enterprise and generate employment. In America, you call it your congressman or congresswoman. Yeah, we called it here the member of legislative assembly. 
So the, he's the political head of this constituency. He called me. I said, hey, Lobsang, we are very inspired what they're doing. The government is ready to keep actually the seed funding for your his plastic risk management system. I was so glad. And I shared with the children and, and the staff. You see, when you do right thing, sometimes you don't even have to ask for money. People wanted to give it to us. So this is something happening. We are also raising funds online. We are also reaching out to CSR funding and things because this is again, you know, I, what I see is if we can clean the Himalayas, we are also cleaning the oceans. You know, the river is coming from the Tibet. The river, two rivers coming from the Tibet. And now people call China. So many plastic and we get the sand for the construction. When we collect the sand from this river and when we buy so much trash coming from our Tibet, only we can recognize all written in Chinese. And these trash, the people who throw trash in the Tibet or maybe beyond in China, and you see their problem is becoming our problem. And we are seeing this every day, the Chinese trash in, 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 in Himalayas. And this river goes in a Bhutan. And then after Bhutan, India, and then it goes to Indian Ocean. So this is a how we see that small act of kindness or doing right will have a huge impact. If we need to clean the ocean, and it has to start from the rivers, you know, the, uh, the rivers coming from Himalaya mountains, rivers coming from other places. And if we actually, we can go to the cause and actually it's much easier to stop the problem there. So these now, are something something that I feel very important. Now that that's a metaphor. If we if we're going to need to clean the oceans, we have to start with the rivers. That's an, a pretty darn good metaphor for what you're doing with the educating the children as well. Absolutely, Linda. Yeah, this is because we see this is because everybody we all get shocked. We tell them, I say, "Well, wow, we cannot read this. This is not English. This is not Hindi. What is? Oh, this is Chinese script." And then sometimes we can find you know a few English. And I said, wow, this is a how, you know, no more your problem. It is your problem and my problem. I think your problem is my problem. My problem is your problem. And this is what we have to accept. And okay, you don't relate yeah. to each other. You know, I loved what I heard. I don't, I don't want to lose this thought. You know, I heard that you've got this clean energy program going too, and you're getting support from some pretty big companies, Dell Computers, Goal Zero. You've got the National Geographic Explorer. They've been helping you with a, also a, a project with solar backup. Yes, Linda. I think we have been very fortunate and blessed by the so many wonderful people who genuinely care about the world, the future, and entire humanity and planet. We have been truly blessed with these people. And I think, again, you know, honestly, that's what these people are, and I call it my, my field. And people talk about where you get this inspiration because their generosity, their love, their enthusiasm is contagious. Like I'm, today I'm talking with you and this is contagious. And you're taking entire hour from America. You know, America is very busy and you have so many things. Up in the mountain, we have nothing much to do. You know, I can give you a whole day sometimes. We don't have a cafe. We don't have a theater or anything. But this is something I see like, wow, you know, listening to you and it actually feels, it actually inspires me. And that's why even we are in a remote. And another thing is, I just see the power of interdependence. These people and you guys, you don't see, oh, this is like 
problem of the mountain. And when people actually come here, they see this is not ours and yours, but this is, this is them and us. No, this is our problem. And we need to solve this collectively. The world has become so, you've always been interdependent. The world is now more and more we see if we are, you know, we cannot divide and find a solution. We need to join together. We need to come together and find a problem. There's no yours and ours problem. It's all our problem. So that's why I think I'm so grateful that even we are remote, I don't think they get a lot of publicity. I'm sure if they do this in big city, there will be medias, there will be people seeing this. It's like sometimes nobody comes to this mountain, but I see the genuine concern and true care about this thing. So yeah, we, we have been lucky and uh, everybody, anything we try to do here is people like you guys, you know, who is trying to support us, who's trying to share our story uh, with other people. And this is our, yeah, fuel. This is our... I love your statement, the power of independent, of interdependence. We think of interdependence sometimes as a liability, but because then, you know, one thing is attached to the other in when things fail as well. I think that we've gotten the word interdependence going in the wrong direction. I think, I think there is a lot of power in shared struggle. Absolutely, Linda. I think the even small things I see, you know, I was recently in Goa and it says a beautiful place, a lot of oceans. And I went to the couple of beaches. I saw so much, again, a plastic. And I just, I picked up a few plastic and I wonder, where this plastic came from because of knowing the situation here, you know. And it is a we need to, I think, our world will only move forward if we understand the nature of interdependence and if we practice that and take a responsibility of that. If people want a clean ocean in Goa, and people should also take a responsibility of cleaning the trash and the in Himalayas, in the mountains. And if I want a clean ocean in a Goa, when I think of throwing something in a river, which is very convenient, bring a truck full of the trash and throw it in my river and thinking, wow, see all the trash gone, but it went to the Goa. But tomorrow, my children, my grandchildren will never able to go to Goa and enjoy an ocean and beach. So this is a very simple business. If we understand that, and then we take a responsibility. We see the bigger picture. And everything we do, we understand. Every wrong thing we do, we understand the consequence of negative impact. Every right thing, even small things, you didn't throw your wrapper of your chocolate. You didn't throw it. You might be, ah, what a big deal. But you make a huge impact of, of you know, big impact of cleaning ocean, not trashing ocean. The people who are in, people go to the beaches, they enjoy because of your responsibility. That is, a, I think, very powerful. That impact on others and how the small things, I'm always telling people, you don't have to go out and save the rainforest personally. You can just do what you can do right in place in this moment. And if we all did that, that kind of, that kind of snowball of goodness and progress would just change the future entirely for all of us. There, there's a small practice that I think is a, probably a large practice, actually, that you teach the children about skipping one meal a week. And it impressed me about how that practice 
is so expansive for the local children. It's one of those one small thing equals one very large thing. Tell us about that. Yeah, Linda, is a, we have a, this program that we bring our kids to the less privileged uh, schools and also in the villages and see is as a program that we have, we do as much as we can. And one time our children, I was with them and they found there was places that children don't have even three meals. They often actually just have a one meal and they study and think. So you need to actually come up with a solution. It's not just you write things and your solution remains in your paper, but you have to follow up with the action. So this is a basically, I think the ASO was talking about solutionary something, you know, you need to find a solution. And it's not just an educational trip. Normally, people do. They go and, oh, great exposure. And after that, okay, one month, we are done with this program and we don't follow up with. So this is, a, we make a commitment, a lifetime we have to follow up, you know, when you do something. So this is, again, a discipline. So we found it. And when we come, I came back and we had a discussion with the older kids, actually, these are the older kids. And how are we going to do? How are we going to so do? One thing is the clean water. They didn't have a clean water and they have a, Another thing is a food and all these basic things. And, and then where are we going to get money? And the children, of course, they said, oh, we're going to do fundraising. And they know being in a jump set, we can do online fundraising. And I, that time I talked about that, you know, there are two kinds of compassion. Uh, the real compassion and inconvenient compassion and convenient compassion. And a lot of us practice convenient compassion. You know, I give example. I said, if I go to good restaurant, you know, my favorite food, I will order because I'm very greedy, I order. And at the end, I couldn't eat all. And then I said, please pack this because I want to give to some poor people. And now I'm giving that out of my guilt. Oh my goodness, I wasted my food. I'm not doing any favor to the person. It will, my, my, my practice will have impact, but my intention is not to actually help that person. Actually, I am actually helping myself to reduce my own guilt and the wrong practice. So I said, often we do this. So I, I challenge children. I said, do not start your practice of compassion, inconvenient practice. Real compassion often is very inconvenient. And think about that. So we basically had a few runs of the meeting. And then we come up with the question, can you really give something you really love? when you love somebody? Can you let go of something you really treasure and give it to person you love? And that was a big question for us. And children said, yes, if this is a true love to the other person, I can let go of things I treasure. I can give the things I love, person I love because I love. That is the power of the love. And then we asked, what we guys love the FDT? I think become a food. <laughs> So we had a discussion of what if we give up one meal? We start from every day, can we give up one meal? No. Can we give up one meal at the two days? No. Then everybody feels, oh yeah, one, one week we can give up one meal. Every week we can give up one dinner. And we all got together. Entire community got together. I said, yeah, this is our impact. Now Zoe here, I want to explain this is... So now we are still practice. It's been more than now five years. So every week we have a no dinner, no dinner day, and we collect all our rations and everything. We actually give it to children who don't have enough food to eat. Now here is now the, I said, it has to be a dual purpose. One, 
you actually feed the hunger. But second is the self-transformation. How is going to transform you? Not the feet, your ego. It could go in a wrong way. Hey, look at us, how kind we are. And if you feed the ego, it has a negative impact. Person who is receiving your generosity is definitely benefiting. Now they have an extra meal. But we have to make sure it has a, always a dual purpose. Don't make this to feed your ego. You are feeding hunger, but if you make it to feed your ego, that it, is, it has a negative impact. So how we do again, integrating heart, mind, and body into a reflective and transformative learning is again, the start from the hunger. Suffering and pain can become the cause of compassion. And it often, if we pay attention, if we can utilize, it's a not bad thing to have pain and suffering necessarily. So the first week when we started, everybody has a first the pain and suffering in their head. It was not really real. Oh, what's going to happen? I think somebody's going to I think my stomach's going to make a weird sound and pain all up here. I said, that's a process. Very good thing. I said, pay attention to the transformation of your physical body, your mind, and your heart. So first week, we have a lot of stories. You know, oh, I couldn't sleep last night. Oh, it was painful. Oh, I couldn't complete my homework because I'm not having dinner. So we all say, just pay attention. And now we are able to see the real things, what really is the problem. Eventually, that discomfort, people were able to go beyond the discomfort and there's no suffering. And then it turned into a joy. It turned into a joy and it turned into a joy and the cause of, you know, real the cause of the compassion. And now, you know, what they're saying is they want to do more no dinner days. And we reached it at this point. And now kids and staff are talking, wow, I feel great. You know, next day when I skip a dinner, and if energy was, I feel great. How your thinking is changing, how it's impacting your physical sensation, observing that. And then finally your heart, what is happening? Are you feeling more joy giving or are you feeling more sadness because you're giving up? Not even joy. We want to do this more. Wow, this is now. So this is the, now I think now the five years of, and I also, I also enjoy, I try to skip more meals and sometimes I don't, but you know, yes, it's a, it's a very uh, beautiful for, for our children. And again, you know, another thing is you see that every children that they see, I don't have to become a billionaire to change the world. I don't have to become a billionaire to feed the hunger. I don't need to become billionaires to solve the challenge. You know, I can be the problem solver. I can make a change. I can make a difference. Just being who I am, there are so many ways that we can do if we pay attention. And uh, I, I shared this story in one of my visits to the Europe, I think somewhere in the Netherlands. Around 100 people pledged after my talk, and they said a lot of money. So now I joke about it. I say, actually, now we should do what more and more people <laughs> and we'll get more money. <laughs> this is a joke that I tell. I said, but this was so, you know, it happened very uh, without any intention. 
Well, you know, that is part of the equation here is that it's, it's, it's as much a gift to the giver as it is to the receiver when you get compassion going in the right direction. Or as you said, if people see me looking down and I've got a pen in my hand, it's because I'm taking notes through this whole conversation. This thought, this difference between convenient compassion and inconvenient compassion. Oh boy. This, this is the gift to the giver and the gift to the receiver all sort of wrapped in one. I, I really, really love that concept that you share. And you know, it sounds like that you're teaching the children just to live that way. It's not special. It's just the way we are in the world. Yes, Linda. That's why I said anything we do a right thing, we have to pay attention to the dual impact. That is very important for me. It's more than charity. When we talk about charity, there is, you know, the I am, sorry, I am, a, sorry, my, you know, I give you and you receive. But in a real practice of generosity, there's no higher at all. Because often the receivers, often the givers has to thank the receivers of giving that opportunity to for the transformative change in their life. So in any charity practice, people don't do. In the practice of compassion, whenever we do right things, it's not that the impact we're making on other person, but more importantly, we have to see what impact is happening to us. And that is a way to change. Yeah. Otherwise, that's what I say. You maybe we are, if you don't do this, maybe we are not feeding the poor, we are feeding our ego. That's why sometimes I feel people like big business, and sometimes I feel, you know, something people like. I don't know, people like they, they like poverty, they like poor people. But you but say don't love. we don't love poor people. If we love poor people, we the, whenever we give something, I think we the giver has to be more what you call the has to have a more gratitude because of this opportunity. So for children, yeah, it is for me is very important. You know, not just take giving one meal away, but more important is to observe and reflect what are happening in you, your life, how it's changing your life is more important. Mm. So it, it's a practice. It's a practice. All so much of this is a practice. You know, I want to I wanna wrap up for today. We didn't even get to half our questions. So we're going to have to have a part two, Genla, okay? <laughs> okay, Thank uh, you, it's, it's so lovely. but And I don't want to miss those other six questions. So we will schedule a part two. I'm just going to remind everyone that there are tiny breaks in our reception here because Genla and I are talking exactly half a planet apart. And once in a while, we're getting a little bit of a haze in the transmission. But I've watched every time to see if I needed to have you repeat what you said. And the message comes through loud and clear each time, even if we are missing a few seconds here and there of your message. Okay, so as we think about wrapping up this part one, I understand that governments and a, a globe full of people are starting to look at your model and say, Hey, this is something we should take seriously. Do you tell me about your hope for this model being something that can spread through the world? Talk to me about what's next. Yeah, it's a it's, it's a absolutely Linda. You, you you see because where we started here, and I see in sixteen years, and this is a, one of the most remotest place we are doing. You know, 
people handle so much. People told me, why are you going so remote? And even I, I'll give you the examples of, you know, when we were deciding the name of community. A lot of my advisors told me, don't call it Jamse Gasal Children's Community. Why don't you call it Jamse Gasal Orphanage? And I said, why? Because people will give more money because people like a charity. And I said, I don't need a charity. If we need to sell something, I'm going to sell the strength of Jamse Gasal. I'm not going to sell the weakness. Our children are not passive beneficiary. They are agent of change. I don't feel that I receive charity. People give me because, oh, poor love son, he's struggling. I said, I don't need the pity. You believe me what I'm doing and you invest because you believe what we are doing will make an impact in other people's life. So I said, I don't look at my children and say, oh, you poor, here is a I want to support. No, don't need, don't give a charity. But you, if you want to give, give that because we, these are the real change maker, the agent of change maker. And I think we, I never use that orphanage. Children's community empower them. It is their community. It's a garden of that. And I think only reason, Linda, in a, such a remote place, it takes 18, 19 hours drive from the nearest airport. And even, you know, after reaching this, we are on a most remote location. And 18 years we survive, we are thriving, is because only reason that is because people see what we are doing has something that we have, we can offer to the larger, or, you know, the greater world and outside this. So I'm very hopeful. I'm very hopeful. And, you know, I just feel so honored to have this opportunity to make whatever the impact or the, the contribution that we as a community, we can make. So we, we are definitely uh, see very a bright future moving forward. I have absolute confidence. And I want to thank you so much. You know, I was turned on to this phrase, a conspiracy of goodness through a story from World War II. And I look at people like you who who have come along kind of before the wave. You really started when things were very dark. And I call you a charter member of the conspiracy of goodness of our times. I think there's this quiet wave of goodness and progress. And the people that are there in that wave are so humble and quiet that news of them is just not rising to the top. So I hope everyone that listens to this podcast will share your message, share what, what we're putting out and what we're going to do in the future together, because this is a prime example of the kind of shared future that we can control. There's so much that we can't, but the kind of conscious choices that you're teaching the children and me <laughs> along the way are going to create more and more agents of change out in the wider world um, from your example. I mean, I'm sure the 120 children that you're working with and the ones that have already moved on into adulthood are agents of change yeah. in every single circle of their lives. So I don't know. I can't say thank you enough for spending your time with me. I want to remind people, I've been so moved by learning about this project. I have literally watched Tashi and the Monk. Probably it's a Netflix production that now you can access easily. We're going to put everything that Genla and I talked about are going to be in the show notes. This will be a pretty extensive article on a Wednesday on the Goodness Exchange. And um, 
We're going to put all the links there, but you must get your favorite beverage, put on your favorite comfy clothes and watch this 40 minute documentary called Tashi and the Monk. I'll tell you, I come away with that from that piece with as much joy and hope for the world as anything I've ever watched. So thank you so much. I want to tell people that you can support the children. Just before I jumped on the website and I'm supporting a little guy that really loves bugs. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the children, there's all these pictures of kids that you can be a sponsor of. And there was one little guy I thought, oh, how am I going to pick? It almost feels like I'm unchoosing. And then I was reading a little bio about each one. And there was one little guy who particularly loves bugs. And I got to love a kid that loves bugs. So (laughs) (laughs) it's easy to support these children. It's it, it, there's a way to support this plastics recycling program that they're doing, whatever you can do for this organization and the furthering of its impact is going to make the world a better place. So I I encourage everyone that's, that's within your shot of this podcast to, to help us lift this possibility and this view of the future up. So thank you um, again, La. Uh, Do you have any parting thoughts for us? What, as you look out over the landscape of time ahead of you, is there one thing that you need? What do you need to make the, to take this to the next level? Is it word of mouth? Is it connections? What is it? Yeah, I think one is absolutely that what you are offering is Aswedi connection and spreading the, in the work that we are doing. It's, I think, so much. I think through the documentary of Tashi and Monk. And again, you know, be honest with you. I, I never thought that people, or, or maybe this is something that I tell Vasudhar Mahaprabhu. Why would people listen to us? Why people? Because this is a, something we started for children in this region, not really thinking about people would be interested in. But we saw this is something, again, the same challenges people, people are going through. And we do have something to offer what we have been doing in the last, last many years. And I think we need to reach out to more people. And I think that people can benefit from what small things we are doing here. Also, at the same time, when we connect with the people, we also learn from other people a lot more. So I think being in a, this remote places, I think the network and connection to the right people with the right community, with the right educators, schools, and parents is very, very important for us and which you are now again you know, providing us this great platform to to connect to the more people. Okay, well, we are going to have all kinds of connections right there for people on the Goodness Exchange article that will host this podcast episode. And I'm going to connect people to Mark and Vasu, who I met before meeting you. And I'm sure we can we can generate the kind of wave that, ra- that the tide, a rising tide that lifts all the boats in the harbor up. Thank you, Linda. Thank you. Okay. Well, thank you, Genla, for joining us. Uh, remember, everyone, that, that you can create a future that is brighter than you would ever imagine, but you got to work for it. You got to pay attention to what you're paying attention to. You got to contribute with joy, as Genla uh, instructed us there. Remember that if you are tuning out the bad news in the world, you got to have a source for the good news, and the Goodness Exchange is a good place to start. There are countless people in this world doing amazing things. Keep the faith. Goodness and progress is all around us. I hope that everything we shared with you this week will carry you through, and you will see all the joy and wonder that Genla and I have been talking about. Thanks. Thank you, Linda. Thank you so much.
Thank you so much.